You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the game of basketball. Tune in for episodes about anything basketball related, on the court, off the court, and anything in between. We at the After the Timeout podcast would like to take a full timeout to talk about V-Reps basketball. Coaches, do you get frustrated by how some players just cannot seem to learn your offensive system? Are you spending countless hours teaching your offensive system to your team just for them to forget by the next practice? You should check out V-Reps. V-Reps was founded by basketball players and coaches to create tools that make learning plays easily a reality. V-Reps allows coaches to turn their 2D playbook into a 3D interactive video game that players can watch on any mobile device on their own time. Don't just have players watch film, have them live it and control the players so that they have a better, more efficient learning experience. It's free to try. Go to vreps.us to sign up today. On today's episode, we're excited to be joined by Pratik Patel, nutrition and strength and conditioning coach, formerly of the New York Giants, now way smarter than Todd and I going for his doctorate. Coach, first of all, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. You know what? We got some sunshine today here in Kansas, and I can't complain. Anytime the weather's like this, uh, I always get a smile on my face. Sun is good for us all. So kind of we wanted to start with you. Kind of just take us through your story. Take us through your history. How, how did you get here? How did you end up, uh, you know, in the NFL? Where are you at now? You know, kind of just take us uh, through your story a little bit. Yeah, you know, like a lot of people, I was an active kid, played soccer, basketball, uh, went through a really sedentary period heading into middle school and high school where I didn't end up playing any sports. And I've always loved sports no matter what. And, that, you know, I was, for a lot of kids, that's a really impressionable time where so getting a chance to kind of evaluate my situation back then I decided that you know I wanted to make a change in my life you know and nobody was going to do it for me I had to do it for myself and that's when I started to get really into nutrition and exercise because I, I wanted to get in shape I wanted to feel better about myself but I also wanted to be able to see if I could play team sports again so over the course of a couple of years you know doing any and everything that I could think of, a lot of it was just wrong on the nutrition and exercise side, was able to kind of get in shape, transform my body and really enjoy the process and what I went through at that time. And that's where, you know, my love for nutrition and exercise came into play. And I was able to, you know, run track and play football high school, but it wasn't anything where I had the opportunity to play at the next level because I wasn't a great athlete. But that whole aspect of being in the weight room, you know, being able to be coached up, being able to transform yourself really resonated with me. So I ended up going to Kansas State for undergrad. And after my first year there, decided to switch my major over into something a little bit more focused on those areas that I really enjoyed. So transferred over into dietetics and, you know, finished out my time there, really enjoyed the classes that I was taking. And in my head, leaving K-State, I figured that I would end up go, going to an internship, passing it becoming a dietitian and then helping people out in, you know, uh, 
a physical setting such as a gym, you know, doing personal training, helping out with meal plans, kind of transforming people the same way that I did. Uh, little did I know that I would start gaining a little bit more experience, get, get a chance to work with different practitioners that were working in a sports setting and realized that, oh, there's actually a career that you can make working in this setting and dealing with performance and nutrition, you know, kind of combining the two things that I really enjoyed. So went back to school at K-State, got my master's in kinesiology, did some teaching, did some coaching, was exposed to working with student athletes there. So worked with the men's basketball team for a couple of years. And when I finished out my time at K-State, there were a lot of openings all around the country, not only in college athletics, but also in training centers, with working with the military. So I had the opportunity to interview with a few different places, uh, got hired by Michigan State, which was a role that was very similar to what I was doing at K-State. It was research, it was teaching, it was working with the athletes there, but it was also doing coaching of youth athletes in the mid-Michigan area. So I was doing a variety of different things, not just, you know, had on my hand in, in one bucket doing coaching or just doing nutrition only, which was a, it was a great learning experience for me. I was able to, you know, build up a relationship with the Michigan State Athletic Department, the coaches, the administration, the players, um, the staff members to where things were growing slowly year by year. And I was, you know, diversifying my skill set, gaining a lot more experience working with these athletes, working with other strength conditioning coaches, seeing things from their perspective. And things were going well at that time. You know, this is 2012, 13, heading into 14. And they uh, wanted to continue the relationship the same way. They didn't necessarily want to, you know, create a standalone department. They weren't necessarily ready for that. And I felt that I was at a point in my career where I was ready to take the next step. And I didn't want to just flatline. So, you know, looking at different opportunities available, there was an opening at the University of Oregon. Uh, so now I was going from, you know, having my hand in a few different things to now being in charge of a department and being able to integrate it with all the other large departments, strength and conditioning, sports performance and science, medicine, and taking care of all of the teams, all the different athletes, with all the facilities and things they had going on. So it was a great transition for me. Now I was in more of a leadership role and, you know, having to run an apartment. So things that I had never done before. So I, you know, didn't do things well the first time around. A lot of a lot of learning, a lot of, uh, you know, growing pains there, but there was a lot that I was able to learn being put in a situation working in this quote unquote high performance environment with a lot of different staff specialties. So learned a lot from there. Uh, the, the, the athletic department had a lot of success at that time. It continues to have success. There's a lot of good things going for it. But unfortunately in 2016, the football team uh, had its first non 10 win season in, you know, 10 plus years. And unfortunately the, the staff got fired and they brought in a new staff. And again, you know, with transition and changes, you always kind of evaluate what's going on in your life. Is this the path that you want to be on? Or is there something missing? Is there something more? And I felt that, you know, I, of course, I love the nutrition side. That's what I have my most, ex most of my experience in, but I also know how important that strength and conditioning piece is in terms of, you know, the, the athlete development in the collegiate setting. So I felt that that was a piece that I, I could contribute positively and, you know, 2016, I had a chance to interview for an NFL job. It didn't end up painting out. So then we went through that season with Oregon, which was kind of a disaster. And, you know, that itch started coming back. Like maybe there's a possibility where I can take the next step and see what I can do at the NFL level. But I didn't want to just go into any old role. I didn't want to just be put in, you know, just this plain old dietetics role where I have to be in charge of, you know, food service and, and, the logistics stuff, a lot of things that many roles are limited to now, because that would be a step back from what I was able to do for Oregon with a very broad uh, and diverse um, range of responsibilities that were put on my shoulder. So 
you know, hearing through the grapevine, heard that the Giants were looking for a full-time dietitian, but they wanted somebody with strength conditioning experience. And I thought, wow, this is something that I'm really forward to and could potentially be brought in person when was offered the job. And, you know, from 17, 18, 19, things in terms of my growth and what I felt I was able to contribute to the organization, having my hand in a variety of different things was great because there was a lot of interaction with the athletes, a lot of one-on-one, a lot of learning, not only from being a strength coach and a dietitian, but also seeing things from a broader lens. Even though the team didn't have a lot of success, uh, which again, unfortunate, it just wasn't the right time for us to be in put in that place. Uh, I was able to grow quite a bit with the role that I was put under. And you know, it kind of humbles you when you realize that you know, you've got a great performance program, you're contributing a lot to the day-to-day things and the, the athletes and the players recognize it because they verbalize for you. They, they step up to bat for you when coaching changes happen, but it has really no bearing on wins and losses. So that's kind of like the kick in the teeth when you're working in this professional elite setting. You know, heading into 2019, there were a lot of expectations because 2018 was pretty decent, but again, didn't meet expectations and other coaching staff change, you know, trying to figure out, are we going to be kept on board? Are we going to be let go? And, um, you know, they hired Joe Judge, who I think is a, is a brilliant man, great teacher, phenomenal coach. Uh, he's the right man for the job for that organization. But as you know, you know, what's good for the organization might not be good for individual people. When things change, people, people move, people come in, um, duties and roles change too. So, you know, kind of looking at it in from my perspective in, in, you know, March of 2020, when the pandemic happened, you know, is the role that I'm now with the team exactly what I want it to be? Or do I feel like there's something else that I could pursue that could be very valuable, not only for a team or athlete setting, but that could help out a lot of other people. And, you know, for me, just evaluating a lot of that stuff. And I, I made the decision to say, this isn't the direction that I want to continue to go on. I want to try to transition and see if there's something else that might be out there for me. And I'm never really going to know unless I actually just go for it. You know, I didn't want to just stay in the safety of what the organization wanted to provide because, you know, I had a contract in hand for 2021 that I didn't sign, but, you know, I ended up making the decision to transition away. And, you know, that brought me to the end of training camp. Um, we're still in Jersey, still like putting together my information because I had made the decision, talked to a few different universities said like, you know, there's a, there's a PhD in mind where I think it could be really valuable to, you know, try it out, test it out, see if this is something that they would resonate with. So fortunate enough to get connected with the University of South Queensland, uh, got accepted into the program, got full tuition stipend. So I'm doing that part-time by distance. And right now, I mean, I'm back in Kansas. I've been seeing, you know, a handful of athletes one-on-one, handful of different people one-on-one doing some consulting. Uh, Right now, it's just kind of bare bones, building something up from the ground up and trying to get a handle on exactly what the next direction I feel could end up being. We've got some ideas in mind, but I guess that kind of brings me here with you guys. Yes, it does. All the way up to us. Uh, you know, we always just find it interesting to, to hear people's journeys. So let's kind of go through, you know, for, for, you know, Todd and I are high school at, uh, coaches um, and we have a lot of high school and, and college coaches that listen and, and as guests. So, Kind of take us through, you know, what are keys for a balanced diet for a high school athlete that's looking to be successful, you know, at the high school level and then possibly at the collegiate level? And, you know, what what should an athlete's diet be like in the offseason in comparison to the season? Yeah, I'd say overall, it's just understanding 
um, when you look at the athlete's schedule, you know, are they in season? Are they out season? What exactly are they doing in terms of what are the, what are the physical demands placed on them? Is it practice? Is it lifts? Is it a combination of both in the off season? Obviously it's just going to be a lot of training to get ready to handle the demands of what the season's going to bring. So overall, it's just understanding and trying to figure out, you know, if you can, there's, there's ways you can quantify energy expenditure based on the size of the athlete, the age of the athlete, you know, how much muscle mass that they have compared to, you know, fat mass. But for the most part, it's, if you're looking at it from a macronutrient perspective is, you know, getting enough carbohydrates, getting enough protein, getting enough fat, but there's strategic times during the day where they can take advantage of that. And, you know, waking up, having breakfast, especially if they're training early in the morning, making sure that they're recovering after any training, um, you know, getting adequate things on their plate at mealtime. So whether they eat at home or they bring it from home or they're purchasing it from school, just making sure it's nutritionally sound, it has, you know, has enough lean protein, it has enough uh, protein in general, have enough complex carbohydrates, you're getting fruits and vegetables, and then they're hydrating consistently throughout the day. Um, identifying, all right, I've got training in the afternoon, or I've got practice in the afternoon, I may, I know that it's going to be two hours, I need to make sure that I have something at least 60 minutes, 90 minutes prior just to have enough energy to get through it, because, you know, everything's just following what the studies have shown about nutrient timing, which it should be. Uh, that's kind of a broad and general sense. When you're in the off season, that's the time to really try to make the biggest changes in body composition and strength, as opposed to in season where you're kind of just kind of holding on, making sure the, the athletes are as healthy as possible. So that's when you can really manipulate some of those macros, the amount of calories that they do eat, getting them used to eating and doing things a certain way, because the consistency part of it is, is the biggest deal. You know, the, the high school athletes that I've worked with, talked to, same thing with college, worked in college for seven years. It's them understanding like, look, this is my schedule. This is what I have going on. These are the things that are really important to me. But I also need to know that if you make the right choices consistently day after day, you're going to reap the benefits of it. You're going to get stronger. You're going to recover faster. You're going to feel better. You're going to decrease, you know, the incidence or risk of injury, decrease the incidence of getting sick, things of that nature. And a lot of athletes just don't put a lot of stock and emphasis on it for a variety of reasons. They haven't been exposed to it enough and it's not important enough to them. You know, everything else is important, especially in this day and age. Their phones are important, their girlfriend, their boyfriend, whatever. Um, stuff that the coaches are saying and what they have going on at the bottom that definitely does have an impact with everything that they go through on a daily basis because it's one thing that connects the dots. But it's finding the right resources available for them to learn how to do that. And at the high school level, you've got millions of high school athletes, but you just ha don't have the appropriate resources available for the coaches to share with them for the parents to understand for the athletes to, to learn from so it, it kind of happens at the college level too versus in staffing but again the college athlete schedule is super jam-packed you have so much stuff going on you've got lifts you've got practice you've got meetings you have tutor you've got classes you've got study hall you've got you know homework they have to do they've got treatment um you've got meals that are provided for them it's like, how do you figure out, you know, because the schedule changes daily because of their class schedule, talented is a four or five star who can get by on just pure athleticism alone, eating Chick-fil-A, you know, four to five times a week and eating wings at night and getting, you know, four or five hours of sleep. So, you know, in the, in the broad sense, it's just, you know, making sure they're eating appropriately when they have those opportunities and then kind of understanding why. And then, you know, off season, making those large changes in season, it's basically matching the energy demand. So, you know, when you're talking about practices, competition, 
they're going to be expending a lot more energy. So eating a lot more carbohydrates, practicing a lot more and emphasizing recovery and sleep as much as possible, because that's what's going to help these kids in the middle of the season, the latter part of the season, continue to feel strong without, you know, a lot. I've talked to a lot of coaches. They reach out to me like, hey, my team is dragging, you know, in the middle of the season, at the end of the season, they just they don't look very sharp. I don't know if I should change up the lifts or I should do that. It's like, you know, that stuff's important, but also look at all the other factors that go on. You know, are they sleeping well? They're managing stress. Are they hydrating? Are they eating properly? Which generally the, the sleep and the eating are the biggest pieces that are missing in a lot of these equations. All right. So I want to, I want to boil it down to, I guess you talked about opportunities to, you know, every high school is different. Every college is different. Um, whether it be strength and conditioning or nutrition, um, you know, many, many people and many schools don't have the same opportunities as others do. Right. So uh, I guess minimalist mm. approach, um, athletes, you know, who have goals to play at the next level and, and they want to get stronger and they want to, they want to perform at a high level at a minimalist approach. What, what can some of those athletes do that maybe don't have the same opportunities with the weight room and nutrition and maybe they're not as well off as everybody else yeah and that's where it becomes really difficult because without assessing each individual situation it's hard to give some generic terms without identifying like oh you know you've got access to this this is how you want to do this or you don't have access to this let's figure something out in terms of you know what are you what are you brought from you know your parents or from outside or from you know somebody supporting you um Again, it's not an easy thing. I, I, again, I've talked to a lot of high school coaches that say, hey, we just don't have uh, the ability to provide it for them. And these kids come from low SES backgrounds. They just don't have the resources available from home. And it's like, yeah, I completely understand that. I think it's just at, at the base level, acknowledging its importance and at least recognizing that, say, yeah, nutrition is something that's important. Yeah, sleep is something that's important. Um, you know, managing stress, working on breath work, that stuff's important and figuring out, okay, you know, what, what, is required in terms of being able to do it. Is it a time commitment? Is it a financial commitment? Or is it a little bit of both? And then figuring out what seems to be the easiest implementation piece. I mean, for a lot of kids, it could be, you know, just putting down your phones, not getting on, you know, video games at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night and just saying like, I, I definitely feel like I can get 30 minutes of extra sleep today or I can get 15 minutes of extra sleep because again, that's not gonna cost them anything. Same thing with, you know, being able to hydrate more. So if they have access to a water bottle and they can just fill it up at school and fill it up at home, the, the cost for that is going to be pretty minimal as opposed to say, this is the way you need to eat. And then it's going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to be breakfast. It's going to be lunch at school. It's going to be dinner, but you also have to snack in between. You've got to have something recovery afterwards. You got to have your pre, you know, bed protein dose or bolus. So I think the, the first part would be acknowledging it, saying like, okay, these things are important. Second is just assessing what is it that I could do based on my given situation? You know, if I don't have a lot of money to invest in food, well, at least I can take care of sleep, stress management, you know, and hydrating, because then it's not going to take too much out of their day. They're already doing these things now, just paying more attention to them, as opposed to looking at, you know, all right, you got a kid who needs to gain weight. He's burning, you know, four to 5,000 calories a day. He's only eating two to 3,500. It's like, okay, now we really need to, you know, increase that intake. All I heard was no Chick-fil-A. Now I'm already off the way. <laughs> um, so let's, let's get into just different core principles. You know, obviously there's a little bit different per sport, you know, basketball, there's slightly different lifts or, 
or, you know, different strength and conditioning needs for football or whatever. But, you know, what are the basic core principles of strength and conditioning for whether it be a basketball player, a baseball player, a football player, a lacrosse player, a softball athlete? Um, you know, what, what are the basic core principles of, of strength and conditioning for, you know, the, the average high school collegiate athlete? I think, you know, if you really want to take it all the way down to the bottom, the biggest thing at any level is always going to be movement quality and movement efficiency over just the total volume lifted. I know in high school and college, it's all about, oh, we got to get these guys stronger. It's all about, we got to film these guys back squatting 600 pounds. And most of the time, the guys that are doing that outside of the few freaks of nature, they're not the best players on the team. So sometimes it just gets skewed in that direction where we don't understand you can get kids stronger without having to, you know, grind them underneath the bar, you know, 365 days during the year. And that's what, that was one of the guiding principles we had when we were working in the NFL was just, look, we're going to have guys from all different backgrounds at all different stages in their career. They've got injuries. They don't, they can't all do the same thing. So we'll find a variation for them to do that. And I think when you start with it at a younger age, it just, it's able, you're able to build the proper foundation as opposed to, you know, maybe what you went through and what I went through, it was, hey, we just got to figure it out on ourselves because we didn't have anybody teaching us or coaching us the appropriate way to squat, to press, to hinge, to do, you know, Olympic derivations or movements. It was all about, yeah, we just have to get that weight up however it gets up because, you know, if we're not increasing in strength and increasing the weight, then we're not going to be looked at as, you know, the, the guy who's going to be, you know, first or second on the depth chart and getting play time. And it's like that with a lot of, you know, colleges too because head coaches sometimes get fixated too much on, oh, we got to get stronger. We just, we don't look strong enough on the field or this and that. I'm like, there's a lot of reasons why that's the case. More often than not, most college teams aren't lacking strength per se. It's, it's skill, it's, it's intentional detail, it's coaching. It's a lot of these other finer points. I think when you, when you look at it, you know, the way you train a female versus a male athlete, it's the exact same. You just kind of have to look at the sport. What are the demands of the sport? What are the movements that they're doing? What are the major muscle groups that need to be focused on? And for most, you're going to have, again, you're going to have a press, pull, squat, hinge. You're going to try to strengthen the core, anti-extension, anti-rotation. You know, maybe throw in a gun show here and there and then figure out time of year. All right, if it's the off season, uh, we want to just, you know, shake everything out from the season. We want to get these kids through some GPP for a few weeks. And then we want to work on, a strength block and then we want to work on power and speed heading into when they're actually going to be competing so that's when you start throwing in those specific movements that are going to be geared towards what they're going to be doing instead of oh yeah we need to clean every single day of the year we need to we need to back squat every single day of the year it's like all right we find derivations of it which match the training block emphasis so everybody wants to be bigger stronger faster but sometimes it's very difficult to get add size add strength and power and add speed at the same time it, you know it's it's almost impossible so you have to periodize it appropriately so when we're talking about, you know, working with all these different sports, that's just the general thought process. But now you want to individualize it based on what these athletes go through and what's important to them, what they need to work on, where they need to build resiliency and specific, I guess, sports skill type applications that if they build up these muscle groups in the weight room because they're used so often during training and competition, you know, what you do for lacrosse is going to be different than what you do for football is what you're going to be doing for basketball but they're still going to be doing some type of push, pull, squat, hinge. But again, you have different types of athletes, different sizes. So some of those intricacies will be changed. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious on your opinion, and, and maybe I'm one of the, the crazy high school coaches that basically uses my Fridays as kind of a rehab day. How much, how much should high school coaches really focus on 
taking strength and conditioning for what it is and nutrition for what it is, but on both rest during the season and a lot on flexibility. What, what are the, the two importance of, of those two things? I, th- I think they're, they're usually important because you know that, you know, athletes, regardless if they're young or if they're old, you know, they're not machines. There's going to be some breakdown. They're going to be going through a lot of different things. It's not just physical stress that they're under. There's a lot of mental stress and stuff going on behind the sidelines, which exacerbate and accelerate just fatigue, mental fatigue, physical fatigue. So when we understand what, what we try to program in rest, it's just identifying where you have in these high spikes in workload you know, for, for most part, if you're talking about lifting, it's all right, we're going three to four weeks and we're going to taper down. Then we're going to start again, because when you look at the general adaptation syndrome uh, graph, the one from Hans Selye back in the fifties, it's, you know, you have a stressor. So the body reacts, if you recover appropriately, then you can super compensate and you change that threshold to get higher. But if you're constantly just breaking down, breaking down, breaking down, breaking down, there's not a lot of recovery, then the body's just going to be like, well, I'm going to continue to break down muscle tissue, expend energy, you know, change the physiology from the inside as opposed to, all right, well, we know that we're going to go hard. We're going to recover. We're going to go hard. We're going to recover. So you're not putting too much emphasis on how much work they're doing, but you're also not putting too much emphasis on too much recovery, because if you don't have that stressor, then they're not going to be challenged. The body's not going to be challenged to say, okay, we now we need to build itself back up because we identified a stressor and change that new baseline of where homeostasis is going to be. Okay. So I, you've mentioned, I don't even know how many times, and we, we all know this, but it's one of the things that lacks hydration and sleep. Um, you know, and I think, I think at every level, it's, it seems to be, you know, it, it, I guess at the pro level, it's a little bit easier because they have more downtime. And, and, but for high school athletes and college athletes, um, you know, how do, how do they manage that? How do they, you know, accomplish that to get the performance they want because it's been shown that there's performance you know improvement based on hydration and sleep so what are some quick you know simple things they can do to try to manage that yeah i I think the hydration piece is a lot easier than the sleep like sleep is just an issue at every level you go to you know obviously the the professional players have um they have a schedule which is a little bit more formative to allow them to do whatever it is they want to do but still when you're talking about adult males with millions of dollars at their disposal right, right. and you know if they're living they're in Jersey go and Hoboken and the city's right yeah. there and yeah, yeah. no one's checking in on them they're like you know some club or some bars like hey we're going to feature you here at our table we're going to pay for all your drinks bring all your friends like how can they say no to that if you're a 21 22 year old kid and you know a big city for the first time um in terms of the hydration it's just I think it's just being mindful of it and understanding that look the body is made up of majority of water. The more muscle mass you have, the more water you have as opposed to fat mass. So everything we do throughout the day, go to the bathroom, eat, uh, sweat out, breathe, loses water, but we also need to make sure that we're replenishing it and, and, and finding ways to educate them about that because more often than not, every single athlete from high school to college to pro has heard oh, hydration is important. It's just understanding, well, what's the, ba- what's the barrier for them to not be able to do that? You know, are you not carrying a bottle with you? Do you not you know, feel thirsty? Do you wait till you're super thirsty before you drink? Um, Are you understanding, you know, are you a heavy sweater? Are you a heavy salt sweater? Do you know how much you sweat on average from practices? Because everybody's going to be different. Like we've been monitoring stuff for, you know, a decade and you have linemen that can sweat 18 pounds. You have a skill player that can sweat two, you know, even though they're 
a lot different in size. I mean, that two is a lot different than the 18. Um, understanding like, yeah, it is water, but there are things that also help with hydration, you know, milk, milk products, um, oh, sports beverages during training that really shouldn't be consumed outside of training is not going to provide them any benefit. And these kids are, you know, drinking Gatorade, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's like, that's actually not a great thing to do. Well, they got to um, be like Mike though, right? Got to be like Mike. Protein shakes, drinks, smoothies, for those kids who are super active and you know playing multiple sports throughout the entire year at the high school level i think it's, it's just being aware carrying something like a bottle with them drinking consistently checking urine color if they don't have the opportunity to test usg seeing is it you know is it pale yellow or lighter um trying to anticipate and not drink when you're thirsty but just getting in a habit of during the day during the school day this is what i need to do and when i'm practicing obviously the emphasis has become that much more on making sure that these athletes have access to fluids because of you know some of the awful things that have happened with heat stroke and dehydration with athletes in the past. And it's not all about water. So they don't want to just chug gallons, gallons of water because they could become hypernutremic. And this has happened even, you know, even in the past few years with some football players. And just understanding like how do we work in those electrolytes? Do we get sports drinks? Um, you know, am I drinking, you know, milk and juices and, and smoothies and shakes at mealtimes? Um, I think hydration, it's simple, but sometimes we make it way too complicated. Uh, the sleep part, that's a whole other issue because, you know, your, your high school and college athletes have such a very condensed schedule in terms of trying to get all this stuff in in a small amount of time. And then school starts really in the morning for the high schoolers. And in the college level, you have, you know, early morning lifts or you have something else going on and you have classes during the day, but then you have to throw in lifts and practice time in and around it. And now most of them are around campus for the entire year, even during the summertime. So I think with the sleep thing, it has to be at least brought to their attention and the education has to be there. But even more so, you can do that in group setting, but then, you know, just try to have individual conversations with the players because you're going to have a handful that just don't care. They're not going to want to put their phones down. They're not going to try to block blue light. They're not going to want to put the controllers down. I mean, that's who they are. They're on their own. And that's what they feel most comfortable doing because they get the dopamine hit every time they pick up the controller or the phone until they're able to at least understand and get a hold and handle on that. Then it's going to be difficult for them to just buy in 100% say, oh, I'm going to bed at 10. I'm waking up at six. But there are things that they can do during the day to assist with that. You know, the, the things you eat, if you have micronutrient deficiencies, are you getting enough sunlight exposure? Are you eating too late? These things can interfere with their ability to fall asleep. So if you're educating them while getting sleep, but they're still doing things during the day, which aren't allowing them to get to that point where, yeah, I do feel tired at 930, 10 o'clock, 1030, then that's just going to push bedtime even later and, and further out, further out. So with the sleep thing, I think there, there are things to do. Sometimes it, it could take an individual assessment with specific athletes or, you know, give some broad education and say, if you want to learn more about it, you know, let's talk about it. Let's figure out what's going on during the day. Because, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of people. They're like, yeah, the room's cold. Everything's blacked out, you know, phone's off, but I still obviously sleeping. So I'm like, look, we have to look at other things. You know, how are you managing stress? What's going on in your head? What are you eating? Uh, do you have any specific deficiencies in a diet? Because there are a lot of studies that do correlate that with uh, poor sleep quality, pushing sleep time, but also increasing sleep latency, which is the time to fall asleep too. So for a lot of high school coaches, you know, they don't have their own strength and conditioning coach like a lot of colleges do, aka Todd and I. Um, so, you know, what, what should we or what should they focus on with the limited time and limited resources they have as far as 
strength, conditioning, flexibility, those kind of things. Yeah. And that's tough without, you know, learning more about an individual coaches situation and, you know, how much space do they have? What kind of access to equipment do they have? How much uh, time do they have with the athletes? Because then you could start thinking like, okay, if you have 30 minutes, you know, at the beginning part of the day or 30 minutes after practice is over, this is what you'd want to try to do based on what the emphasis of practice was. How long did they go? You know, do you want to break them down even more? Or do you want to just try to get them through the motions? You know, you're talking about in season versus out season. I think there are things that there, there are, there are a lot of really good strength coaches out there that have, you know, programs that they can put together for, those high school coaches or those coaches in situations where they don't have access to the material. So you don't necessarily have to come up with the specific strategies. You can get it from somebody who, you know, is a master's level CSCS who's worked in football or these major, you know, team sports for a variety of years, instead of trying to piece things together, like, all right, maybe we should do, you know, a circuit style stuff, or maybe we should do, you know, sprints till they, you know, pass out. Um, I think leveraging the information and people in your network and the people that are available, you know, whether it's, you know, Twitter, or whether it's, you know, Instagram that are credible because there's a lot of BS coaches out there that have no clue what they're doing. I think that could be a great resource uh, instead of trying to come up with it all on your own. So we like to do a segment uh, as we get towards the end of the episode and we call it a 30 second timeout. Obviously there's no referees in our huddles, so uh, it could be a little bit longer than 30 seconds, but it's kind of our platform for our guests to talk about whatever they want. If they want to talk about something they're affiliated with or a charity or something that they're passionate about, uh, a program, an organization. Um, so, you know, the next 30 or so seconds, it's anything you, you want to tell our listeners about. No, I don't, I don't really have anything to plug. You know, it's been an interesting when wild ride over the past 11, 12 years for me, I think, the way things are moving in sport, the importance of having a good grasp on, you know, the nutrition to complement the exercise and the sleep are some of the biggest things that I've seen are the missing pieces from high school to college and even to the pros. I mean, you do have a lot of qualified practitioners, but still a lot of people that don't have enough experience with this. But I think if coaches are very aware of that and understand that, you know, if you start putting yourself in the foot's in, in the position of their athletes and understand what they're going through. Cause now these kids are just, it's so different than when I was in high school, you know, even in 2003. Um, I think it, it adds a lot of value to understanding like, how should I, you know, coach these kids up? How should I figure out how to put together the plans? Who should I put my trust in when allow, you know, having kids with, you know, certain staff members and certain coaches. So I think, um, you know, and then another, another big thing I will, I'll take a little bit longer than 30 seconds that I've seen and observed for 11 years or so is coaches would be hugely better off putting more emphasis on taking care of themselves. And I know, you know, there have, there's this huge grind culture. You've got to put in so many hours of work to be able to get, you know, one step ahead. But, you know, I've seen it where people are putting so much emphasis and time and trying to learn their craft that it's not really even making any difference in terms of gameplay wins and losses Unfortunately, the first half of my career was awesome. There was so much going on where I wasn't a big part of it, but I was along for the ride and there was a lot of success. And then as I continued to gain stream and getting more responsibilities and have a bigger role, uh, unfortunately, the success wasn't necessarily there compared to what we'd like to have. But 
I think coaches being able to take care of themselves first and foremost, take care of your health, take care of you know your spouses, take care of things at home instead of just putting any and everything in the job because you know unfortunately loyalty is few and far between when we're talking about sports and I've seen it firsthand. I've seen four or five different coaching staffs get fired over the past six years and it, I, I felt I was going to get fired too but because I'm as culpable as anybody else and that's not a fun thing to do but um, being able to take care of yourself, being healthy, that not only contributes to feeling more energetic, having a clear mind, making better decisions, it speaks volumes when your other staff members and your players can see it too. So when you understand what you're asking them to do, you know, take care of yourself, sleep, eat well. I mean, you have to do it too, because that makes you a better coach and a better, healthier human to make better decisions, to let your brain work faster, to be able to recover, to be able to handle the stresses and the demands of being a coach. So I know, um, Cody Royal speaks a lot about this, you know, he's written two books. I think it, it's massive. And I've seen coaches just literally just bomb their careers from taking on the stress, not working out or eating, just drinking nonstop and just being miserable. And it, it's hard to see. You don't want that because, you know, these are good people. These are good men and women. But sometimes the, the toll is just too much because they're just not physically fit mentally and, and, and health wise to be able to handle it. All right. So you, you quoted Cody Royal. So before I do the quick timeout, I just got done reading his one book, uh, the tough stuff about being a, a head coach. So before we get to the last segment, one of the things I loved, and I've asked our last few guests um, about this idea of the imposter syndrome. So here you are, you're a strength and conditioning coach. You get hired by an NFL organization. You're, you know, you're the, the head of nutrition and you're working with these high level athletes. Did you ever have the imposter syndrome? Did you ever have like, who told me I was qualified to work for the New York Giants and work with these high level athletes? Did you ever have those thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's normal too. It, sometimes it's it's a little bit of disbelief to think, you know, I'm just this, I was a skinny Indian kid from Kansas who became overweight, who wasn't a great athlete, who was a mechanical engineering major, freshman year in college to transitioning over, to not getting into an internship, to having to go live back home and then getting into grad school or getting into an internship, come back home, couldn't find a job, getting into grad school, um, you know, and slowly just working my way up when I've seen a lot of my other colleagues that, you know, got jobs faster earlier on in their career, but weren't able to flourish. And I'm like, how did I even end up here? You know, you have three South Asian Indian coaches and all of professional sports you know in the main sports uh, I was one of the third ones I ended up becoming the longest tenured in 2020 when uh, the person who hired me left for um, a really great gig and I'm like I was never really meant to be here but here I am sometimes you kind of just think like what am I even doing here am I even qualified you know I'm not a big name person and have any mentors in the field you know am I good at what I do and I think it, there's it's normal to have those thoughts but it's also good because it keeps you on your toes and doesn't allow you to become complacent and my whole tenure with the Giants was you can't become complacent because there's a new coach coming in. There's a new roster being swapped over. You have to start over from square one, not only with the players, but with a new coaching staff, a new GM. Um, I think some it, it's definitely normal to have those thoughts, but it also being able to, you know, evaluate yourself and, and weigh the things that you do really well and weigh the things that you want to continue to improve upon. I mean, that self-evaluation and self-awareness piece is very huge and it's key. I think I have more imposter syndrome now that I'm not in it than I was before because 
now I have to prove myself to people that don't even know me. You know, I haven't even set up a website or anything like that. People are reaching out to me on Twitter because they like the stuff that I put out because I want to be as open and honest about the things that I've learned, not only in, you know, 11, 12 years in sports, but 20 years on this journey of health and fitness, because not a lot of people do that. They just say the same stuff. You know, they don't want to put the diversity of thought out there, but I'm like, you know, stepping away from the team setting, which is really easy to me. Like I can go to any team in, in the world and figure out, yeah, this, this, this can potentially be improved. I think I have some ideas, but now doing it on your own is so much harder. And so anybody that's out there, you know, running their own business and doing things by themselves, I commend you because it's, it's extremely difficult and it's a thousand times harder than anything I experienced working in the team setting. But it, you know, the imposter syndrome is normal, but I think it's, it's important to have that, but not, don't let it weigh you down too much and, and cloud your thoughts and, you know, take you off your path and interfere with your confidence and your ability to execute what you're good at doing. It's just, it's good to have it in the back of your mind, just to at least keep you on your toes and keep you honest. So we have a, we finished with a fun segment. We call it quick hitters. These, most of these questions may not even be related to strength and conditioning. Some might, we just like to have fun with our guests at the end. So our first one Todd and I had for you is we had to ask your favorite cheat meal. Oh, uh, I love pizza. You know, I love uh, thin crust pizza. All I can eat a whole large pizza without even blinking an eye. And I try not to do it very often, but uh, in terms of like a savory, it's pizza. And in terms of like a sweet, I love cookies and ice cream. Like I try, I try not to eat it too much because I have, I can eat enormous quantities of food at the same time. But I would say those two are definitely my go-tos. Uh, all right. So uh, best simple resource for high school coaches in terms of nutrition and strength. Oh, <laughs> Like just, there, just something they can go to to kind of get a, a framework and, and start learning about it. He's going to say his own Twitter account. I will. Well, obviously, he's going to say his own <laughs> I'd say that's, but... a, that's a good place to start. I, there's a lot more coming out. Um, no, the, I, I guess that, 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 that a, a general coach can, you know, that's someone who played athletics and, and you know, had us participate in a sport can kind of understand because they've had some training in the in the past mm -hmm. i'd say for for sport i think uh dr mark bubbs has a great book it's called peak uh that and uh, nancy clark has a very basic general sports nutrition book which i mean it just kind of introduces concepts that are are important but it doesn't weigh you down with too much scientific terminology so I think that, and then, you know, some of the position papers from the International Society of Sports Nutrition, they've, they've come up with some great stuff. Uh, I think in terms of meal timing, you know, protein intake supplements that kind of outskirts some of the other things that you find in most books. Um, training is a little bit more difficult because there's so many different things out there. I mean, the NSCA puts out a lot right. of stuff. Um, that, that's actually a good question. I would well, say... Again, le leverage people you know in your network, especially people on Twitter, because the, some may work at small high schools and small colleges who are strength conditioning professionals, and they create resources specifically for these types. And I mean, from a from nutrition side, this is something I've thought about for a while because I know there's there's millions of high school athletes and there's thousands and thousands of coaches that just want something simplified so they can learn a lot more, and they don't have you know the money to hire somebody. 
to bring on, you know, if a parent there and their athlete want to do that one-on-one, that's a different story, but being able to learn more for like 20 bucks, you know, here's an ebook and kind of tells you everything top to bottom. I think there's a lot of people uh, that sell training style information that can tell you like, here's how you periodize, you know, this is based on time of year, based on the equipment you have. I think there's a, there's a lot of good ones out there. All right. So give us one just quick, interesting or funny story you had while your time with the Giants could have been with a coach or a player or a front office person or some funny story. (laughs) This was in 2017. We were playing the Chargers at home and, you know, every player has their own specific quirks and things that they like. And, you know, within the game. You know, you've got, you know, Gatorade, you have all these different carbohydrate options because these guys are playing, you know, 60 to 80, sometimes 90 snaps. And a lot of them just they can't eat. They have so much anxiety on game day, but they still need appropriate fluids and carbohydrates. So we'd have a lot of fun stuff. You know, you've got um, Swedish fish, you've got Skittles, you've got airheads, you know, whatever they want on the sideline. So, you know, I've got it in my pack. I kind of know what guy needs what and kind of dose it appropriately, you know, maybe at the end of the first quarter at halftime, third quarter, depending on, you know, when I look at the stats sheet at halftime or who's getting a ton of snaps, this and that. So this, this was actually filmed because he was mic'd up, but I didn't know it. So this is, um, on NFL films of Janoris Jenkins. So Jack rabbit, he, uh, like he called over to me, like at one of the breaks, before he went back on the field, he's like, hey, hey, T, come here. He's like, you got some Skittles? I'm like, yeah. He's like, give me some of that. And so poured it out in his hand. He ate it, and he's running away. He's like, hey, ref, you want some of these Skittles? Oh, okay. Because the ref said no. And so that actually got captured by NFL Films, and they uploaded it, I think, on, like, their Instagram or Twitter. And somebody, like, someone found it and was like, oh, my gosh. So they tagged me because I'm right there in the frame with them. I'm passing out Skittles to them. And I just thought that was hilarious. I'm like, you know, what are the odds? You know, hopefully they don't look at me like, oh, is he just a water boy Skittle provider? I'm like, no, you know, there's a method to the madness. There's a reason why, you know, we do what we do. And uh, I thought that was just really funny because it was probably, you know, with three to four bad seasons, that's one of the high notes that we had. <laughs> well, and he's asking a referee wants some Skittles. That's pretty funny. Uh, you know, and you wouldn't think a professional athlete in that setting he's like hey i need some skittles right now you know what i mean like like just a normal person yeah i mean you know marshawn lynch obviously popularized it he's a phenomenal right, right. football player we played him in 17 when he was with the raiders and he that dude's just a monster yeah but this was just it wasn't like trying to copying him it was like this is exactly what he wanted he's like yeah, i need exactly the the tropical pack it's the blue pack it can't be the regular because you know he doesn't like it right so i'm like ah, i gotta get the blue tropical pack and i've got to have it in my pocket ready for him all right. So now is that a more, is that almost a superstition too? Like, is it a, does it become a routine? Is it something that they, you know, were successful at one time having Skittles in this pack? So, you know what I mean? Like, or, or yeah, that, I, I think it's a combination that... of definitely something that resonates with them that they've used in the past that they have success with, but it's also, I mean, it's something that they like too. Right. So finding that middle ground, it's like, well, you don't want to, you know, you don't drink a ton of Gatorade. You will every now and then, you know, you're not going to consume a lot at halftime, but you want something specific. It's like, you know, this guy's playing a ton of snaps. He's burning a ton of energy. He needs the carbohydrates. You know, how do I figure out how to get him, you know, up to like, you know, 45 to 60 grams an hour of, you know, quick digesting carb. And this was what we came up with. That's super interesting. All right. So let's go. You've coached a lot of elite athletes, like the best athlete you coach, like the, 
like the guy that you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's like a freak, right? Like he shouldn't be able to do this. Oh, yeah. With football, it's different because, you know, the position groups are so right different. So I'll say. So you can take from, it any way you want. Like, yeah, from, be, from a skill a player. And again, like in terms of coaching, it's like, okay, I wasn't the reason why because of his success, I just had a chance to coach him. Uh, skill player Odell. I mean, holy cow, freaking nature, just body control, movement, ability to is just insane. Uh, big skills, Saquon. It's just pretty obvious. He's a phenomenal kid, just insane build, strength, power, speed, has it all. And I guess if you consider him a lineman, I would say JPP. I mean, the things I've seen him do in practice with one arm, like when he's like, all right, I definitely want to make sure that I give my all this rep. Like he's a freak of nature. And, you know, he won a Super Bowl last year. Another one, right. you know, definitely happy for him. He still sends me random Facebook and Snapchats every now and then, which is kind of funny. Uh, I'd say in terms of football, those three guys. What about a, like a strength guy? What about like a guy you're like, holy cow, this dude's just throwing stuff around? Um. It's easy for the linemen to stand out in terms of, you know, their right. ability to press. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Hernandez is crazy strong upper body. Very strong. Uh, lower body. Was always really impressed with Nate Solder for how tall he was. Mm. I mean, yeah, yeah he was six, 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 nine. Yeah, big dude. You know, in season, he's squatting, you know, over 405 pounds. And it's not like one of those linemen, oh, I'm in a, you know, kind of low – low bar, get my knees out real wide, you know, barely at 90. I mean, he's high bar. He's straight all the way down, which to me was fantastic. Just looking at that. Cause I, I mean, that's how I squat too. Cause the way I'm built because of really long femurs. Um, again, power wise, Saquon, crazy strong, you know, just his ability to generate power. You put him on like a Kaiser speed squat and those numbers are off the charts. Um, for a skill player, Sterling Shepard's really strong. You know, his, his upper body strength and lower body strength. Uh, it, it's tough. When you get to the NFL, yeah, they're, they're, all, they're not going to be their strongest. Right? Yeah, 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 that, yeah, that strength decreases for a variety of reasons, just well, longevity of careers, and, injuries, durability yeah. issues. Uh, but I'd say, you know, those guys that in the most recent memory that I've had the chance to work with. All right, so I walk around with my big old jug of a gallon of water that I try to drink every day. People make fun of me for my jug. And of course it's got the little time. So people are like, Oh, it's 11 o'clock. How come you're not at this? You know, realistically, how how much should a a high school athlete in season drink of water per day? Um, It's a good question because, you know, everybody says the gallon, but if you're a very large athlete, if you happen to be a 300 pound lineman, a gallon might not be enough. You know, because mm-hmm. it's 128 ounces. Sometimes they say rule of thumb is half your body weight in ounces. But again, if you're only 180 pounds and you have your body weight, it's only, you know, 95. Yeah. Or no, 90. Sorry, bad math. <laughs> uh, so the gallon's kind of the place that you want to start. But then you also have to factor in, you know, how much activity you do during the day. Are you a high volume sweater? You know, are you replenishing what you're losing during practices and training and the lifts so you know if there's a scale around in the locker room kind of weigh weigh yourself before weigh yourself after just to gauge it and if you don't have to do for every single lift most guys will probably be very similar where they're at 
day to day. So if they have just somewhat of an idea to say, okay, I know I, I sweat out four pounds every practice and I sweat out one pound every lift. So for every pound you sweat out, you want to replenish, not just with 16 ounces, that is the equivalent in terms of the volume and, and weight. It's overshooting it to like 20 to 24 ounces because the body's not going to be able to utilize all of it. So there will be some loss to urine. So if you, if you definitely want to make sure you're back to your pre-training weight, you try to shoot for 20 to 24 ounces for every pound you lose. So last one, any realm, favorite athletes growing up? Okay, so basketball, I was a Michael Jordan fan. Just there you go. obsessed, there we go. head over heels. Yeah, we're, we're Chicago guys, so yeah, we're right yeah. there with you. Uh, football, I grew up really liking the Niners because I was a big Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Steve Young fan. Um, I would say those are probably the main ones. And then, you know, as you continue to get older, like I was a big AI fan. Okay. It was awesome. Um, then, you know, getting into college, like Cristiano Ronaldo, like ridiculous, phenomenal, you know, especially the longevity of his career. But I'd say growing up, number one, like greatest of all time by far is Michael Jordan. Well, coach, uh, you know, we really appreciate it because uh, we were excited because it's like a whole different episode. We talk a lot of coaches. We talk a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basketball. But this is a whole different realm that that John and I really think is super important. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I know I try to incorporate in my program as best I can, you know, at, at the high school level. So, um, you know, we thank you so much for, for all the, the information, um, you know, and taking your time to talk about us, talk with us. And I, I know our listeners are going to find a lot of uh, useful information uh, out of what you talked about, and hopefully they can use it to, to benefit their program. So we appreciate it so much. No, thank, thanks for having me. I think it's, it's such a big deal for coaches in your guys' position to value a lot of the stuff. Cause we, you know, we've seen the importance of it, not only at the collegiate level, the professional level and how important it can be to develop those habits early on, you know, I was one of those athletes who had no clue of what to do and I could have benefited from it, you know, at an earlier age and not, you know, not that I was going to anything, but those habits that you can develop, the things you can learn from it can really resonate and provide and do as they get older. And, you know, the state of the nation, everybody's health is not the greatest. Um, I think, I think it just, it's, it's a big deal because not every coach at your guys's level thinks about it and puts a lot of emphasis on it so i think it's such a a positive thing to see thank you for listening to another episode of the after the timeout podcast hosted by todd zazadil and john palicki for more show content and upcoming episodes follow us on twitter at after the timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.